This is Christy. And I'm Jenna, and this is Badass Moms. Badass. If your kid ain't mud, and you don't know what to do, and your neighbors judge, and your in-law shitty too, pour tequila in your coffee. Don't go run and ask your mommy. And together we'll break it down to find a clue. Ask the badass moms like a badass mom would do. We're here for you. Welcome back to the Badass Moms podcast. As always, I'm one half of the Badass Moms, Jenna Levine Liu. And with always is my very pro-choice and amazing co-host, Christy Mirabello. Hello, 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 Jews. Did you just say hello, Jews? I said choose because you said pro-choice and I said choose. But I do want to say I'm not like complete if we want to get do we want to get into our views on this shit is that what the people want um i will Your views say, on roe v wade i will say i sh- i i'm on the struggle bus with like i'm not like super i mean i am i vote i do believe you know you do with what you want with your body but i do struggle i'll be honest i struggle with the idea of like things that really suck about it, you know? And I mean, obviously I think we, we all would, but um, as, as liberal as I can be, I think you may be surprised with how much I struggle with this. Um, even though I myself went through a situation uh, where I might, so- look, look, okay. The R word happened. We're gonna lay it all out here. Good morning, everybody. No. Um, and I was 20. I did not consider abortion, but it was hell in my mind. Wait, were you, did you get pregnant? No, but, he, okay. but there was no protection. I was nervous about that happening. So, um, I know oh, there's no plan B then either. You think about, yeah, you think about like what, what can happen? What will happen? Right. And I wasn't a proponent of abortion for myself, but I was like, this sucks so bad. Like what I can't even imagine what would happen if I got pregnant. Dude. Yeah. And I mean, I had nightmares, like it was horrendous and it like haunted me. Luckily I wasn't, but you think about people that are in that situation or just, you know, all, all sorts of situations. So I am, I do, I really do struggle with my view on it. I feel like I'll be honest, like I'm very, um, I've got a lot of strong, I've got a lot of very strong opinions as you no. know, I know who would I guess little old me and this is, I struggle. I mean, I do believe it's, it's your body, your choice, but then I struggle with the idea that when does their soul, right? Cause there's all this soul shit, you know, I'm woo woo and like the soul, when does it enter the body and this, that, and it, and it, it does, you know, it's not an easy thing for me to decide on, you know, for myself, it is like I myself wouldn't, but would like, I don't judge others 
but then I also have feelings about it. Like I feel yeah, like, I understand. Oh, you know, and I don't think it should be used for, you know, I had, I knew a couple of people in high school that used it as like birth control, you know, and I'm, I am very against that. So, you know, it's tricky. I just want to put my opinion out there because, you know, you would probably think I'm like totally, completely pro-choice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the interesting, well, you are pro-choice. You just have conflicted feelings about it, but yeah. it's sort of the kind of thing, how I, how I kind of feel about it is yeah. I don't, so there's, there's two things here. There's the idea of, or not the idea, there is abortion and then there's the legality of abortion, which are kind of two separate things. Yes. yes. So I could have feelings on abortion one way or the other. But those feelings should not interfere with the legal process of getting an abortion. I think, like, again, I don't generally care what people do. I just think that it's none of my business to make the decision that should be made between a woman and her doctor. That's like a very sacred relationship. And I couldn't imagine being a person that would, you know, tell a 16 year old girl who was not even raped. Like if she just, is there a bug behind me or something? Just wasn't, wasn't ready or didn't feel. Wasn't ready. You know, she's a kid, all these things. Like I can't be, imagine being somebody to tell her, be like, oh, well, you can't get an abortion, but what you can do is carry the child to term and then give it up for adoption, which is a viable option. Or for some 16 year olds or 18 or 20 like the idea of having a baby to full term and giving it up to adoption also sounds fucking horrible like but then there is yeah and unwanted pregnancies yeah sorry no 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 it's okay it's it's and then there's the other side though that are viewing it as i think what i mean i know everyone has different opinions on the conservative side too but that it's like this is a human being with a soul, whether or not it comes like is actually right. So there's a soul inside of there and you are saying it's okay to murder, like, and that life and that soul where like, that should be God's position. Right. So it can get into this whole religious type thing. Um, and you know, it's like, that's where I struggle a little bit. Like, well, we, cause we don't know what we don't know. We don't know when a soul comes, some people don't believe in souls. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it, it, it is, it is very, tricky. it's complicated. It's personal. Um, and that's why I struggle with it because I really, I really truly can see both sides of the coin, you know, um, like you, for me, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I have to leave it up to God to deal with all that. Cause I'm not equipped. Right. So it's like, I'm going to go ahead and say, that's between whoever it is and their decision and their God, their doctor, whoever. But so that's kind of how I end up voting on my side, on the pro-choice side. Yeah, no, no, I, I get it. I sort of put with these types of things, but this sort of comes from my political background yeah. where I like to think of when I, when I'm, especially when I'm talking about something like Roe v. Wade, I like to think of it from like the legal aspect of things versus the emotional as- aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I was pregnant and I didn't want one and I've never had an abortion, um, now I, I don't know what I do, but like back in my youth, I a hundred percent, I would have gotten one. Now, luckily I didn't have to make that choice, 
But making that choice for any reason, whether it be that you know, there's an issue with the fetus, whether it's an issue with the mother being able to carry the child, mm-hmm. whether there, you know, there's a risk to the mom and continuing the pregnancy, if it's a rape, if it's an incest, or honestly, even if you just, you made a, f- a fucking mistake and mm-hmm. you don't have the resources or the emotional maturity to raise a child, these are all decisions that I can't, I can't make. That's not for me to d- decide. Cause I don't, I don't know. That's, for a person to decide and her doctor to decide or whatever people in her life she takes advice from. It's definitely not up to, um, you know, the district court in fucking Texas to tell people that are medical doctors what they can and cannot do with their doctors. Like that's not, that's the part that my brain sometimes wants to explode with. And I feel like a lot of these people that make these policy decisions think about, about a very black and white and they don't think about it from the levels that it really should be thought about, which is everybody's situation is unique and should be handled, you know, individually, their unique situations and, and need to be treated as such to put a blanket statement on. Well, because a, they, I think that's the thing. There are people that view it, it, it is murder to them, right? Because and especially, you know, I know it's developed of different phases where it's earlier and they've changed, you know, what's legal and legal about the timeline of things, but in their minds, it's, it's a murder. So it's, it's not like up for debate, you know, like it's like, well, no, murder's not okay. No matter whatever, right. We could go into a whole. But are those the people that yeah. are also against contraception? Right. There's all that fine line. So I know. What, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We could like open. Yeah, we can get it, We could really get into it in d- in deep dive. But but my point of view, just point blank, is a lot of these decisions are decisions between a woman and her family and her doctor, and they're not about any anybody else. And they're hard decisions. Like nobody's like skipping in, to, or maybe some people, but like we're not talking about them. But like nobody's <laughs> skipping in. Like oh, yeah. Yeah, an abortion day. I'm really fucking excited about it. Then I'm gonna go and get a cinnamon. Like nobody's like fucking doing that. It's it's awful, and it stays with women for the rest. And and you know the fathers too. It stays with people the rest of your lives, especially oh, yeah. if you've ever listened to Brick by Ben Folds Five. He's sad. Oh, <laughs> but the same thing too. Like the process of. And there's not resources for these fucking people either, but like people who decide like, I don't want to get an abortion. I'm going to give this baby up for adoption. Mm -hmm. So they carry this baby to term. They have to deliver the baby and then give it away knowing that they, they don't have the ability to care for it. That's a fucking nightmare. None of it's fun. None of this shit is fun. So I just wish people would stop thinking about it in such like a selfish, narcissistic way and start thinking about it. Like this is a, an issue that, I shouldn't be making decisions on like I have no right like I'm funny like I don't <laughs> I don't know you know what I mean I, but at the same time that is how we get to laws and I'm not trying I'm not like arguing the other side per se but I'm you know I'm I get your point yeah or totally get your perspective like I'm I'm seeing their side and what I've heard and like that is how laws can be made right there. I mean, they're ethical parts of law, which are emotionally driven, right? So if there are these people saying that, I don't care what it is, if you made a mistake, you don't get to murder a baby or, you know, like, and so it's, it, 
there's just so, so many different perspectives and um, views on it. Obviously, that's why it's such a big debate, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because it feels awful all the way around. It's just like, it's one of the most uncomfortable, I think, debates to have. It's uncomfortable to think about, to think about your position. Um, I took, you know, I can see both sides of the coin and I come to my own decision about what I decide. Um, and, you know, at the same time, I can kind of be like, for me, I, I may get the other side. I, for myself, I mean, man, but that was tough. When I was thinking that I might have to have this person's baby, that's no small potatoes. And that wasn't a mistake I made. That yeah. was something that happened to me out of my control. And I mean, so all of these things can really damage people. Like you said, I mean, even having to go to, you know, ha carrying this child and having a place for adoption. Yeah, it's well, tough. So that's interesting too, from, from your perspective, which is a unique one in its own right, because you didn't get pregnant, but you were sexually assaulted. Yeah. You didn't have control. It wasn't your, your choice. Again, we were talking before we recorded that plan B didn't exist back then, which, oh my God, plan B, thumbs up. <laughs> thumbs up. I've used yeah. that, like, I've used that in the past, and I was definitely, the last time I used it was actually, like, within the past year, and I felt really funny, like, going to CBS, and I'm like, give me the plan, give me the plan B, right, but it's like, I'm married, and we just think that, you know, yeah, but I just felt, you feel, you feel a type of way, but I've never been in that position, situation, but you, as somebody who was sexually assaulted, and had this fear, like, what the fuck if I get pregnant, even the, like, the trauma of the, the rape is one thing. Right. It, if you had then, to add on to that, the trauma of having, and that would have been your decision, but the trauma of having to carry mm -hmm. this baby and have this baby of this guy who's like a rapist, it's just, it's oh, horrible. my brain. I mean, I seriously was literally physically ill. I mean, from the whole situation, obviously. But even after, like, thinking about, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, you know, a few days later and just like, I mean, it was, Brutal. it was traumatic. And it was like, I was literally physically ill to my stomach. When you got your period, were you like, oh my God, I literally like ran, I'm not kidding. I ran around the neighborhood crying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a regular Tuesday for me. No, I, I do it all the time. All right. You know, so anyway, I guess we'll dive into, we were not yeah. planning on doing that y'all, but, but that's there great. It well, it's me because I, I introduced you as, as pro-choice. You but can I didn't ask like, for it. Well, I, I am because I do want to be, you know, I'm, I'm very, very liberal in ways, but I'm not like extreme either on some issues. So, you know, we all yeah. have different gardens of pol politics. So let's hear about Norma McCorvey okay. and her, her decision-making process and a little bit about her as a general statement. Cause again, a lot of people don't know her. Yeah. Right. So Born Norma Leigh Nelson. She was born September 22nd, 1947. She's better known as the generic legal pseudonym Jane Roe, and she was the plaintiff in the landmark American legal case Roe versus Wade. Again, for those of you who just need the, re the refresh, um, in the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 1973 that, indi that individual state laws banning abortion were unconstitutional. And this was actually going back to what I was talking about, where it is a right to privacy. But I'll get into that when I talk about the actual case, which will be next week. This week, we're just talking about Norma 
and Henry Wade. Okay. So McCorvey was born in Louisiana and she was raised at her family's residence in Point Coop Parish, Louisiana. Sounds nice. Mm -hmm. uh, later in her childhood, the family actually moved to Houston, Texas. So that's why she lived in Texas. Her dad, Alan Nelson, he was a TV repairman. He left the family when she was just 13 years old and her parents subsequently divorced. She and her older brother were raised by her mother, Mary, who was a violent alcoholic. Just kind of a bummer. Uh, Norm uh, McCorvey's father died on September 27th, 1995. I think he like fucked his like his secretary or something like something along those lines. This that old tale. Sounds sounds like a yeah. typical alcoholic slut. Mm. <laughs> she entered into a Catholic boarding school prior to her minor troubles with law enforcement that started at the age of 10. She robbed the cash register at a gas station and ran away in Oklahoma to Oklahoma City with a friend. They tricked a hotel worker into letting them rent a room and were there for two days when a maid walked in on her and a female friend kissing. McCorvey was arrested and taken to court where she was declared a ward of the state and sent to a state-run institution. Mm. She was sent to the state school for girls in Gainesville, Texas, on and off from ages 11 to 15. She said this was actually the happiest time of her childhood, and every time she was sent home, she would purposely do something bad to be sent back. Mm. After her release, McCorvey lived with her mother's cousin, who allegedly raped her every night for three weeks. Oh, my God. When McCorvey's mother found out, her cousin said McCorvey was lying. While working at a restaurant, Norma met Woody McCorvey, and that's, you know, who she married. He was born in 1940, and she married him at the age of 16 in 1963. She later left him after he allegedly assaulted her, and she moved in with her mother and gave birth to her first child, Melissa. In 1965, after Melissa's birth, McCorvey developed a severe drinking and drug problem. Soon after, she began identifying as a lesbian, which would stick with her through, through most of her life, although she wasn't really out, but that's kind of a sign of the times. Yeah. During this time, she went on a weekend trip to visit two friends and left her baby with her mother. When she returned, her mother replaced Melissa with a baby doll and reported Norma to the police as having abandoned her baby oh and called the police to take her out of the house. She would not tell her where Melissa was for weeks and finally let her visit her child after three months. She allowed McCorvey to move back in, and one day she woke her up um, after a long day of work, and she told her to sign some papers, and she presented them as just insurance papers, so McCorvey just signed them without reading them. The papers she had actually signed were adoption papers, so it gave her mother custody of Melissa, oh and McCorvey was then kicked out of her house. The following year, McCorvey again became pregnant and gave birth to a baby who she placed for adoption. In 1969, at the age of 21, McCorvey became pregnant a third time and returned to Dallas. According to McCorvey, friends advised her that she should assert falsely that she had been raped by a group of black men and that she should thereby obtain a legal abortion under Texas's law, which prohibited most abortion. Sources differ on whether Texas law had such a rape, rape exception. I don't believe they did at that point. I think it was just like, sorry, boo. Yeah. Due to the lack of police evidence or documentation, the scheme was not successful. McCorvey later said it was a fabrication. She attempted to obtain an illegal abortion, but the recommended clinic had been closed down by authorities. Her doctor, Richard Lane, suggested that she consults Henry Mikulski, an adoption lawyer in Dallas. McCorvey stated that she was only interested in an abortion, but agreed to meet with a lawyer regardless. Around the same time, McCorvey was referred to the attorneys Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington, Sarah who we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. 
she was, they were looking for pregnant women who are seeking abortions. The case Roe v. Wade, obviously Henry Wade was a district attorney, took three years of trials to reach the Supreme Court, and McCorvey never attended a single trial. During the course of the lawsuit, she gave birth <laughs> to that baby and placed it up for adoption. McCorvey told the press that she was Jane Rowe soon after the decision was reached, stating that she had sought an abortion because she was unemployable and greatly depressed. In 1983, McCorvey told the press that she had been raped, but then again in 1987, she said the rape claim was untrue. Yeah, it's like kind of hard at this point, too, because she's like, you know, going back and forth with certain things, so it's like, she's not the most reliable. Not the most credible source. Yeah. So there was actually a documentary that aired in May of last year. It was called AKA Jean Rowe. Mm. It appeared on FX and it described her life and the financial incentives to change her views on abortion. So in an interview conducted for the film shortly before her death, this is what I was referring to last week as a deathbed confession. Yeah. She said her anti-abortion activism had been an act, which she did because she was paid, stating that she did not care whether a woman got an abortion. I was a bit, this is what she said. I was a big fish. I think it was a mutual thing. I take their money and they put me out in front of the cameras and tell me what to say. That's what I'd say. If a young woman wants to have an abortion, that's no skin off my ass. That's why they call it choice. There you go. And I kind of love her for that, but also she did a lot of damage. So, schmeh. Yeah. So, Robert Schneck. He was an evangelical uh, pastor who worked with her, supported what was in the documentary. He acknowledged that his group had paid McCorvey to speak against abortion and stated, her name and photo would command some of the largest windfalls of dollars for my group and many others, but the money we gave her was modest. More than once, I tried to make up for it with an added check, but it was never fair. According to tax documentation, she received at least $450,000 from anti-abortion groups during her years as an activist. Uh, Sheck said that he was surprised that McCorvey said that she was pro-abortion, although he said he knew she harbored doubts about the pro-life message she was telegraphing. Mm. Yeah, so soon after giving birth that third time, Roe versus Wade made its way through the courts. McCorvey met and soon began a long-term relationship with a woman named Connie Gonzalez. They lived together in Dallas for 35 years. After converting to Christianity, McCor McCorvey continued to live with Gonzalez, but she described their relationship as platonic. Later in life, she stated that she was no longer a lesbian, although she said that her religious conversion and re renouncement of her sexuality, sexuality were financially motivated. McCorvey moved out of the house she shared with Gonzalez in 2006, shortly before Gonzalez unfortunately suffered a stroke. Shortly after, because she apparently sucks and just left her partner. Um, she died of heart failure in Katy, Texas on February 18th, 2017 at the age of 69. So that is the history of Miss McCorvey. Do you have any thoughts on that? Here she is. Um, I mean, she sounds quite unstable and like she had a rough, I mean, a rough upbringing, you know, which can lead to that instability. Like you said, the going, I mean, when somebody's lying and go back and forth, that it does damage credibility. Um, but needless to say, that doesn't take away for me, I mean, doesn't take away from the outcome of what happened, you know? Yeah, I know, like, uh, for whatever it is, she had a really big role in changing um, the political landscape in America for, you know, women and their, their right to choose. So yeah. for everything that she did, she did a, you know, her part is, is really influential and 
um, she deserves the credit for, for doing that. I also don't fault her for taking money to change her position. Like I kind of get it. Like she was, a, you know, a lower income waitress. If somebody's offering you all this money and all you have to do is be like, yeah, abortion's stupid. They said she got 450,000 over her time as an activist. Is that? Yeah. Okay. And back then that, and that was like, what in the seventies? So in eighties. So it's a, a lot of money. It's a hefty amount of cash. All right, now let's move on to, to Henry Wade. So his, his middle on, name Henry. is Manasco, whereas, I don't know. Henry Manasco Wade, he was born in 1914. He passed in 2001. He was a Texas lawyer who served as district attorney of Dallas County from 1951 to 1987. As such, he participated in two of the most notable U.S. court cases of the 20th century. So he was actually the prosecution of Jack, he was on the prosecution team for Jack Ruby, for killing Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm. Um, and they, obviously the US Supreme Court decision legalizing abortion. In addition, Wade was a district attorney when Randall Dale Adams, the subject of the documentary, A Thin Blue Line, was convicted of the murder of Robert Wood, a Dallas police officer. Wade was one of 11 children. He was born in Rockwell County, Texas, outside of Dallas. He was a good student, and along with five of his seven brothers, entered the legal profession. So, so five of his brothers are also lawyers or were lawyers. I'm not sure how many are around. So shortly after graduating from the University of Texas at Austin in 1939, he entered the uh, FBI. And it says here too, the Federal Bureau of Investigations headed by J. Edgar Hoover, in case you didn't know who was running it in 1939. There you go. His assignment as a special agent was to investigate espionage cases, cases along the U.S. East Coast and in South America. During World War II, he served in the U.S. Navy, taking part in the invasions of the Philippines and Okinawa. Hmm. He was first elected Rockwell County Attorney in 1947, and later on joined the Dallas County District Attorney's Office. He won that election only four years later, a position he actually held for 36 years until his retirement in 1987. I believe he retired in 1987 because his wife died the same year. Hmm. I couldn't find any information on, on what she passed from because she did pass a little on the young side. Yeah. Um, but I guess he retired when that happened. He's like, well, um, I guess I'm going to golf. Yeah. <laughs> he actually did run for uh, Congress in 1956. And the interesting thing was he was a Democratic can candidate in 1956. And this was against, obviously, a staunchly conservative Republican representative. His name is Bruce Algar of Dallas County. He won his second of five house terms, and obviously, we just remained district attorney for another 30 years. So not too bad, but being a Democrat in Texas can be a little on the challenging side back in that day. Yes. All right, so this is kind of like interesting. So we all know in the early afternoon hours of November 22nd, 1963, John F. Kennedy was assassinated in downtown Dallas. This mm -hmm. is actually just blocks away from Wade's office in the Dallas County Courthouse. Mm -hmm. He was a little disappointed because he actually lost the opportunity to try Lee, Oswe uh, Lee Harvey Oswald himself for Kennedy's murder. And the Dallas nightclub operator, Jack Ruby, shot the suspect two days later. He became known nationally for prosecuting Ruby, obviously for Oswald's murder, but he much rather have prosecuted Oswald for Kennedy's murder. That would have yes. been, been kind of neat. And also despite the loss of Roe v. Wade and its unpopularity with conservative voters, Wade himself was not blamed. 
and his political career didn't suffer. Obviously, he remained at the district attorney's office. So yeah. he continued to serve in that office for an additional 14 years, and he remained a fixture around the Crowley Courts building where members of the Dallas Bar called him the chief. In 1985, the Henry Wade Juvenile Justice Center was named in his honor, and in 2000, shortly before his death from Parkinson's disease, Texas lawyer named him one of the 102 most influential lawyers of the 20th century. So now we know about our key players. So we have Sarah Weddington, Norma McCorvey, and Henry Wade. So next week, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of the actual case, why it took so many years and how the outcome came to be, you know, what it was and, and how it stands today in the history of, of, you know, the history of Roe v. Wade versus the future of Roe v. Wade in our country. But before we did that, I just really wanted you guys to get a background on the key players so you can know a little bit sort of about them and their backgrounds and maybe the decisions that they made and why why they made them and why this case was so influential. So I hope you found this interesting. I found a lot of it really interesting. I did. I'm, I'm glad you had this idea to do it. I mean, I these are things that I did not know, you know, and like I said, I you you know, I knew the like very, very basics and it's interesting. I always love learning about people in general. So it's cool to see like what their lives really were and how they got to be in that place to have this influence, you know? Yeah. The interesting thing I, I find about Hen, um, Henry Wade is that his name is literally on a case that he lost that changed essentially the American healthcare system yeah. And that motherfucker kept his role for 14 years and was like, whatever, I was doing my job. He like, still got it. <laughs> but also, who knows what his actual opinions on it were, but he was a, you know, a Texas white dude. So I don't know, I could make an assumption. I didn't want to like talk too much about this, but I just want to throw this out there. But he actually does have a little bit of a controversial history in terms of being the district attorney because he's prosecuted several cases where Texas has, you know, and a lot of legal teams do this where convict at all costs, right. like just fucking get this person convicted. Yeah. So he actually had one man and I, I don't necessarily need to give his name. It doesn't matter, but he had one guy that he sentenced to death and they actually commuted it to life in prison. And the guy was eventually released in like 1988 oh, because he didn't do the crime. And there was a handful of those cases. Now I granted that might happen everywhere so I, that's cool. why i didn't really want to call attention to it because like i can't imagine that these prosecutors make the right calls all of the time you know they're people right. just as we are yeah. but he did have a little bit of that where people were like hey dude you just want to put people in jail and you kind of like didn't give a shit about anything else yeah but i don't know if that that's true or false and i don't know him well enough um on that particular you know side of the issue to make any real statements but i did want to throw that out out there yeah, those are always interesting stories. You know, you see some of those like TV specials of these people whose lives are totally ruined and they find out, you know, decades later. It's it's so hard to think about that. It is. It is super oh. hard to think about. But we appreciate you sticking around for part two of our series. Yes. And we hope that you join us for part three, where we really get into the meat and the potatoes of the Roe v. Wade case. And if you have any questions or thoughts or um, anything you want to add, feel free to email us at badassmoms at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your opinions on this particular subject. And yeah. if there's any details you want to know for next week, I'm happy to include those as well or any you know questions. So on that note, 
Yeah. We'll talk to you then, kiddos. Thanks for joining us for Coffee Talk. Coffee Talk with Jenna and Christy. Where we talk we'll, about... We'll meet you at the diner. Oh, when we come out into the world soon, we can meet at a diner, do a podcast from the diner. We can have diner talk. We'll change the whole name. Diner the whole talk. name. Just us at the Silver Diner. <laughs> which is not a cool New Jersey, New York it's diner. It's not, but I, I do love a diner. We're all doing the best we can. All right, guys, have a bitchin' week. Later. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, write us at badaskwithakmoms at gmail.com. You can find the lovely Jenna on Instagram at Noshing the Suburbs and Six Cool Moms with Two X's on Facebook. Find me, Christy, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Fierce Mama Christy or Fierce Mama Coaching. Feel free to share our podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if you like what you hear. Don't forget to keep being your badass self.